ice to your earbuds. A podcast about hockey. Featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. Hey everybody. Welcome to ESPN on ice, the podcast where ESPN covers hockey. I'm Greg Wachinski, NHL senior writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, a national NHL reporter with ESPN, which is a mouthful, apparently. <laughs> I couldn't even say my own title. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, v- VP, assistant to the VP of the president of NH- yes. national NHL coverage. Coverage in the Chicago Bureau. In the Chicago Bureau. What? Tell me about the Chicago Bureau of, of ESPN. I, I've, I've never been. Is it spacious? It is spacious. What's super cool about it, it's the ESPN radio office. It's right on State Street across from the Chicago Theater. And they have this thing that's like a fishbowl downstairs where guys just broadcast ESPN 1000, the radio, and oh, like yeah. people doing their shopping down State Street can just like go and watch like they're zoo animals. So that's <laughs> kind of cool. We haven't done the podcast from there yet. Yeah, it's like when you, turn on, when you turn on the, the uh, Today Show and like they have the windows open and all those people that are there to probably see a former member of One Direction do a concert of some sort. Yes, exactly. uh, start pounding on the windows and... <laughs> throwing their clothes at them. And there's always um, a sign for Hoda. Everyone loves Hoda. <laughs> the, 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 uh, the, when I was at Yahoo, the Yahoo offices in Chicago, I remember being, it was like on the like 40th floor of a building and it was just like a cafeteria and then an, a big room with a chair and a camera on it where people in Chicago that did like video for us would go sit. It was very sort of dystopian. Uh, you know, just like this, there's a big dark room with a, with a camera and you sit in the chair and, and the first time I walked in, I was afraid I was being, uh, my brain was being re- reprogrammed clockwork orange style. <laughs> How do you know it wasn't? It probably was. That's probably why I stayed there so long. Um, so anyways, uh, it was a rough week since we've done the podcast. I yeah. mean, it, it was a good week when we started the last podcast because we were both in Bristol. And then the week got kind of sad. Uh, Jim Johansson, who was the general manager of, of uh, Team USA uh, and, and a guy who had worked at USA Hockey for ages and, and really uh, was, was very responsible for the growth uh, of the organization and the growth of, of hockey in America during his tenure there, uh, passed away, uh, quite suddenly, um, uh, over the weekend and, and, uh, and the outpouring of, of, uh, players and executives and coaches and anybody that had any, uh, contact with Jim through the years was incredible. One of those deaths where, um, the, the legacy of, of somebody and the good work that they did really comes into focus with how many people had uh, such kind things to say about him. Yeah, I mean, our task this weekend was reach out to hockey people and see if anyone wants to talk about him. You got Ray Shiro with the GM of the Devils on the phone probably within, what, like hours of texting him? Yeah. I reached out to a bunch of different teams. I was like, let me see if I have any biters. And within, like, it was a Sunday afternoon. By Monday, I'd heard from Ryan Suter, Nick Foligno, Cam Fowler, uh, Ryan Miller, uh, oh my God, it goes on and on. John Gibson and Corey Schneider. And then I was in Chicago and I talked to Patrick Kane and Ryan Hartman. And, you know, sometimes guys just have a generic thing they want to say. You know, he was a good hockey man. Well, he'll be missed. I remember him. Everyone just wanted to gush about the guy. And sometimes they didn't have specific stories. They're just like, he's ubiquitous for USA hockey. And there wouldn't be such a large American presence in the NHL right now if it wasn't for him. And America wouldn't be an international power if not for him. And I thought that just spoke volumes. Yeah, the, the three things Ray said to, to me about him, and, and Shira had worked with him um, on, on some of these national teams that, that they put together, uh, including the World Cup team, including Sochi, I believe. Uh, well, definitely Sochi, based on the story I'm about to tell. Um, the, the, the first thing that he said about him that I thought was interesting as far as the growth of, of youth hockey in the U.S. and junior hockey in the U.S. was that Jim had a real dedication towards making the game safe. And, like, if you think mm-hmm. about where hockey is right now on a youth level, like, safety first. Like, you, you've got to convince parents that the organizations they're sending their kids to, not only is it going to be safe on the ice insofar as the officiating and things of that nature, but it's also going to be a safe space insofar as coaching and insofar as the advice they're getting and insofar as the guidance on how to play this game. And Jim was very cognizant of that insofar as growing hockey as a sport here in the States. Uh, the other thing was that he was, as, she, as Ray Shiro pointed out, hockey DB incarnate <laughs> like his is the depth of he share ray basically said that like him brian burke and other people would be in the room and he'd be going over all these names for the olympic teams 
And then, like, they go to Jim and be like, hey, what about this guy? And Jim's like, well, when he played for the national team, you know, five years ago, he had this one shift. And we're just like, whoa. <laughs> like, yeah. How does this guy have this banging around his head? And the third thing And they're was asking my... his opinion, too. What do you think yeah. of this guy? Right, exactly. Because the thing about Jim was that he was a former player, too. He wasn't just an executive. And he's a pretty good one at that. Um, and then the other thing that the, the story that, that Shiro has now told, I think, a million people uh, since uh, Jim Johansson's death. But God, it's the, a good uh, story. <laughs> yeah, the, they're in Sochi, and uh, you know they, they've got their rooms. It's 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 him and Brian Burke rooming together. Uh, they've got twin beds. It's a suite. Uh, there's a room, uh, another room that's outside of their room. That's Jim Johansson's room. And they get there, and and one of his phones starts ringing, and uh, he picks it up, and all of a sudden they see JJ all panicked. He's like, "Oh my God, what's wrong? What is it? Oh Jesus! Okay, okay, I'm on it. I'm on it." And he rushes out of the room, and they're thinking it's a crisis. Like, thinking, oh, did okay. we leave a player behind? Yeah. Did we leave a player? Did Putin kidnap somebody and drag him to Ukraine? <laughs> uh, and it turns out it was that uh, James Van Riemsdyk didn't have any toilet paper. But this is just <laughs> a great example of like the attention, not only the attention to detail, but the care that this guy gave uh, to the uh, players that, that wore the, uh, the the flag on the front of their jerseys. And it wasn't pampering and, uh, them. It was just making sure they felt comfortable. Yeah, well, and also, yeah, so then they don't walk around with a bunch of dookie on their butt, too. I mean, that's as well. Oh, you're talking about in the in the grand scheme, not in that specific I example. think we're speaking in the grand scheme here. <laughs> yeah, he was a cool dude. What you, would you learn about him in your conversations with those players? I think that's exactly it. It was just the care that they put in all of them. My favorite was Patrick Kane. Kane, by the way, is just so good at giving very specific examples. He said that Jim loved his job so much. Every time they had a tournament, like World Juniors or the Olympics, he would like stay up at night and go behind his computer and create like this newsletter he called The National, where he put like a joke <laughs> of the day, the weather of the day, the standings, what do you need to know, what's going on in the NHL that you missed? And he would slip it under each of their doors. And Kane was just like, yeah, he just loved his job. And I loved looking forward to that every morning. And it was just a small thing, but it was just really cool. And I think that kind of shines through when someone just is so passionate about what they do. Yeah, it's better than what usually gets slipped under my door, which is a bill for the mini bar. And you know what, so. JV? Oh, yeah, and JVR could have used that as toilet paper. I don't know, <laughs> but they respected <laughs> right. the national. You would never use that as toilet paper. I was, I went to Sochi, man. I could have used Jim Johansson to fix a number of things. If, if <laughs> I wish I had his number to be like, dude, there, I don't have a shower curtain, and it looks like a giant manatee is getting washed at the zoo every time I try to take a shower because it's just a bathtub in the middle of the room. <laughs> and he right. could have fixed that probably. Uh, the but, other part um, of our open ice segment that we wanted to discuss is. The rise of, of surprise teams in the NHL, there's a lot of teams that I think a lot of us didn't think would be on the championship radar that are there right now based on their point totals and based on the fact that they're probably going to be playoff teams or in the case of one team is right in the bubble. And uh, it's going to give us a chance to talk about a team that a lot of our, our listeners have asked us to address, which is the Colorado Avalanche. I must say, Emily, that I did not realize... Uh, they had won 10 in a row until uh, I looked at the standings and saw really? 10 in a row. Really? I feel yeah. like it's all I hear about. In well, here, it's, I'll t- hold on. I'll tell you why it's all you hear about, because they just went through Toronto. <laughs> mm, fair enough. They just went through Toronto, and I'm here in Central Division Mania land, where every team has a uh, a plus goal differential. Yeah. Do you know what's crazy in this 10-game winning streak? Until that? that Austin Matthews goal or Patrick Marlowe goal that put them up 2-1. They hadn't trailed in any of those games in this winning streak. That's insane. It's insane. Um, they're they're good. I I tend to believe, and I mean no disrespect to our our friends in uh, in Colorado. I, I I have a sort of a tenuous relationship with them sometimes, where they think that th- there's a conspiracy theory that I'm very mean to the Avalanche because they beat the Devils in 2001. Mm, that's not that true. sounds like it has some credence. It's not. I'm I don't like Ray Bork because of 2001. I don't I hate kid, the I Avalanche. I, I kind of believe that they might be a bit of a one-line team. Like, that McKinnon line with Landis Cog and um, Ratnan. Like, I feel like it's, I feel like that line is um, carrying the offense a bit. I feel like they're getting good performances here and there through the lineup. But I really think that the story of the team right now is, is besides McKinnon, is Jonathan Bernier and, and the comeback year that he's had. And, um, you know, it, 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 it's, it's not to say they're counterfeit. I think they're really well coached too. I like Jared Bednar. He's won at every level he's, he's, he's coached in and, and it's great to see that he's gotten a chance to prove himself after the debacle of, of, uh, of a reason he got this job in the first place when Patrick Waugh took his puck and went home. Um, but there's a part of me that believes that, uh, 
they might not have enough top to bottom to get over the hump in, in that, you know, central division of death. It's this division of death because everyone keeps winning, except yeah. for the Blackhawks. <laughs> right. makes a lot of people happy. But your point's taken, which is that, like, 10-game ten, ten winning streak, and they're only on the bubble. Like, yeah. you know, you do that in the, in, well, hell, you see what happened. You do that in, in the Atlantic Division, and like Boston's been doing, and all of a sudden you're and in the And you're picture. better than the Lightning, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, so what's your verdict in Colorado? Are they, are they going to be a championship contender, or are they going to be a flash in the pan? I think that they sneak up on some teams. I think they make the playoffs. I don't think they have what it takes to make a long run, but I think they're going to be a tough team to match up against. My beloved New Jersey Devils are in a bit of a of a struggle. They're a bit of a rut. Well, they need to stop going to overtime, right? They also That's need the to problem. stop getting guys hurt. That's the other issue, too. Mm, uh, Taylor especially Hall. Especially Taylor a, Hall. Yeah, a little bit of a, 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 I believe it was a hand injury this week. But um, I've seen this team enough to know what they look like at peak Devils this year. And I, I want to believe they're not going to squander the point cushion they gave themselves earlier this year. I want to believe they're going to right the ship and still make the playoffs. But um, and if they do, I mean, all bets are off. I mean, a fast team, an offensive team in the playoffs with a good goalie, you know, telling what you could do. But I'm I'm a little bit concerned right now. I'm a little bit concerned that the magic might be wearing off at the wrong time for this team. And, and again, like you look at the standings, I think they're only about three points up right now on the uh, on the Rangers. Um, who are right now the uh, possessors of the final playoff spot in the East, and you had the Penguins and the Islanders both there with 53 points as well as we do this podcast. And should we talk about the Flyers? You know, the Flyers are a funny team. Like, I, I, I go, I go back and forth as to whether or not they're a surprise. I guess a lot of people didn't expect them to challenge this year. I felt like this was going to be the year where they were sort of in that that nebulous part where they've got a great collection of younger players and some older guys, and was it all going to mesh together? I think the biggest surprise about Philly um, is that offensively they've been kind of here and there sometimes. Yeah. Um, obviously, Couturier has been great, um, but uh, they've just found ways to win, and I think it's been impressive. I think a really underrated story in the year, league this year is Claude Giroux and the fact that he switched positions and is having a career year. Like, we were writing off Claude Giroux at this point last year, and he's been awesome. But I think they're just too streaky. I think them and the Kings are battling of who's the streakiest team. Like, they both have had really long <laughs> winning streaks and really long losing streaks, and it's like, yeah. that's just not the formula. It's funny. We were talking this morning in our meeting about, like, how no co- coaches have been fired. And, I mean, Dave, Dave Haxtell... His fur must be singed at this point as far as the hot seat he's been on. But, like, dude survived it. Didn't get fired at a point where we all thought he would get fired. Yeah, if he survived that 10-game uh, losing streak, he's fine. He should yeah. go uh, double down and get two residences in the Philadelphia area. <laughs> so, all right, so Jersey, championship contender, or no, kind of a fakey phony one? Do you think the Flyers can contend for a championship this year? Not contend, but I think they can make a run for the playoffs. So playoff team, but not championship contender. Yeah. All right. By the way, I, make the playoffs. I don't think I registered my vote on Colorado. I think they fall just short. I just think that division okay. is too tough. Uh, yeah. The Winnipeg Jets, by the way, on top of that division, the Central, are they a championship contender? I don't know how many times they need to say it. I say it every time I'm on a radio hit in TSN, just so every Canadian can write it down. I'm all in on this bandwagon. They're winning. This is it. It's the Winnipeg Jets here. Winning and I will be the there. cup. The, oh, Stan- yeah. the Stanley Cup. They're my Stanley Cup favorites. Wow. I love you know that. You know they have to get through Nashville. They have yeah. to get through Vegas. I love this. I love their depth. <laughs> I love the fact that like Nikolai Ehlers is just like the fourth best player on their team, and he's awesome to watch. I think the the thing that makes me think that your pick is 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 possible is how good Halliabuck's been. But I caution your pick. Because we don't know if he's going to turn into a pumpkin in the playoffs. We've seen young goalies play outstanding in the regular season and then not have the ability to recreate that performance in the postseason. Well, Maybe he has have? to take a few lumps before he's a playoff goaltender. Yeah, but you know, you say that and maybe he struggles a little bit, but they've got a really experienced guy with Steve Mason on the roster. Oh my God. Can you imagine? Yeah. I, we'll talk about Steve Mason later, but can you imagine? I think Steve Mason, 
I mean, I root for Steve Mason. Like, could could you imagine if it was a situation where like Holly Beck flops and all of a sudden Mason comes back? Like, I'm I'm a sucker for an underdog story, and that would be an ultimate underdog story. The the guy who was a giant flop signing and handed the reins to the young goalie. The young goalie then can't get done, and they turn for ninety percent of the season. Yep. Yeah, they they turn back to the forgotten man. I would be down with that. Finally, the uh, team I mentioned before, obviously, uh, your Vegas Golden Knights. This is the one I think everybody wants to talk Golden about. Knights. Yeah. Well, yeah, they are America's team at this point. Um, Do you know what's funny? In yeah. the interview with John Cooper, uh, I was like, yeah, you know, you guys have been the toast of the league. And he's like, we haven't been the toast. Vegas has been the toast. Like, it was like very quick to say that. I, I, I interviewed Cooper after their loss in Vegas, and I could tell that there was a big old lot of respect that he had for what he had just seen. He really dug everything that was happening in that game and what they were doing with that, the whole vibe in Vegas. So I could see he's a fan. Um, are they a championship contender? I, I believe they are only because the, the they keep winning mm-hmm. and they're going to have home ice. Mm-hmm. You're going to, you're going to have to beat that team on home ice and no one can. Yeah. And, 100% you're going to have to do that. And I don't want to give away our Phil Kessel of the week, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to pause it there because I have a, a, something to say about the Vegas flu. But uh, yeah, they have to have home ice. Uh, they keep winning and they've got goaltending. Like Marc-Andre Fleury is pretty rested because he's been injured this year, so he hasn't even played a ton. And you, we know that he can turn it on to the playoffs. We've discussed this a little bit here and there, but do you think they add pieces at the deadline or do you think they stand pat with what they what they have? I think they had small pieces. I don't think they go all in and try to get like a Vander Kane because I don't think that George McPhee wants to blow up his whole plan of, you know, going all in now and, and not trying to build the right way through prospects. But I can see them getting a rental here or there because, look, they're not set up for success two or three years from now. They're inexplicably set up for success now. You got to go for it. I mean, I'm cheering and hoping and rooting for an Evander Kane trade just for the simple fact that Evander Kane in Vegas would be an amazing story to cover, uh, given his history there. Uh, you mentioned John Cooper just now, and you spoke with John Cooper for this very podcast. I did, and he was in Chicago, and I had a chance to hang out with him. And just a disclaimer, it is in the hallway, so if you ever wonder what the hallway of the United Center sounds like after a Morty's Gate, but... He's a super introspective guy. As everyone knows, he has a really unique path to the NHL. And what's crazy is he's the second longest tenured coach in the NHL right now. So I asked him, how has he evolved as a coach since he first entered the league? Well, I'm a lot more knowledgeable, I'll tell you that. Uh, I have a lot less hair. So that, that's... Uh, uh, but no, I, I, the, the big thing about being in this league is knowing the NHL. And when I came in the league, I didn't know the NHL. Like, to be honest, I'd get off the bus and I'd fake I was on the cell phone just so the players would walk ahead of me so I could follow them and see where the locker That's amazing. Yeah, like, that's a true story. And so those are the things that, you know, you don't really think about, but that's part of the NHL. And and, uh, um, so just, yeah, I never look at myself as a veteran in this league, but no, no, I guess I'm in my fifth year or so. You know, you, you begin to see things again i guess so you're not seeing it like for the first time sure. so um, for me you know it, it's just the experience of being around knowing all, all the players in the league now knowing the coaches kind of knowing their styles how they do things and you can't really learn that until uh you go through it you go through it and and everybody's got to do it so um you know i've just been extremely fortunate that uh, I've been able to stick around this long, and, uh, but it's just a, it's an honor to be in this league and uh, have a lot of fun. Well, you said it's an honor to stick around this long. It's crazy. We're here in Chicago, and besides Quenville, you're the longest tenured coach. When you hear that with a team, what do you think? <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> that, uh, yeah, that is, yeah, that is crazy to think about that. Um, yeah, and he's one coach that, uh, <laughs> he gave us heartbreak a couple years ago in 2015. Right. Um, but, you know, that's, it just, you know, pro sports is a what have we done for me lately business. And I feel extremely fortunate to be surrounded by the, you know, uh, Jeff Finnick and Dev Steve Eisenman as a general manager who's been in this thing a long time and, and knows 
something about stability and being in one place for a long time and for him to put his trust in me and, and, and coach his team for this long this, you know, you kind of feel a little bit blessed to have that and uh, it, it also puts you in a situation where you don't want to let him down you know, it's been a great uh, experience you know, most hockey fans, they think, know about your journey and your unique path here. But can you walk me through that moment when you decided that you were going to leave a career that you were becoming established in and then become a coach full-time? Well, I'll tell you. The, I, I, it's well documented that I coached my first high school team because a judge right. in Lansing was <laughs> kind of needed a job for him, so it was a little give and take. Uh, but I, I'll never forget after that year and I wasn't sure I was going to coach again but just like remembering that feeling of how much fun I had with these kids and you know, in the end none of these kids they're going to not be happy if they hear this we're going to make the NHL but it was such a pleasurable experience to uh, to be around them and and then when I just kind of continued I wanted I still want to just I want to be a part of this it kind of was filling a void in my life you know then getting up in the morning and, and working you know 10 hours a day or whatever it was but when I was, I just remember, say I was working, you know, 60 hours a week as a lawyer and, and coaching 20 hours a week. Well, in three years, it was, I was coaching 60 hours a week and I was only working 20 hours a week. And I thought, oh my gosh, I got to find a way to get paid doing this. <laughs> and uh, I think that's when I thought, you know, if I get an opportunity and I to, to coach full time, I'm going to do it. And ran in and got a job in the North American Hockey League. And it's, the rest is history. Yeah. We talked a little about you know how you've evolved as a coach, and I told you I covered football. Mm-hmm. This one football coach, Gus Bradley, uh, when he was with Jacksonville, he told me about how he has to really adapt to reach younger players these days. Yeah. Sometimes he you know has to feel like he plants an idea in their head, so they feel like it's their idea and empower. Uh, yeah. Do you find yourself doing that, or can you coach these guys all the same? Mm, I don't know. I, I think part of uh, I don't know if you ask the people, well, why does you know Scoop had some success? Probably because I could relate to them. I, I don't know what it is. Maybe because I'm just a kid myself. So uh, not by age, but by <laughs> my heart, spirit. Yeah. Uh, but uh, th- what for me has been is like you have to keep reinventing yourself, and you can't keep going to the same well all the time. So because that act will get old with the guys, and you, you coach the same guys. Like you take the Tyler Johnsons and the Platts and those guys. I've had them for seven years. Yeah. And. And so you have to, there's always reevaluating what you're doing, looking inside yourself, saying, you know what, we did get to the Stanley Cup final, but we didn't win. And um, yeah, we got farther than 29 other teams or whatever, 28 other teams, but how can we take that next step? And you just, and one thing is, the second you start resting on your laurels and you think you've conquered it, it'll be You'll be, I'll be standing where you are right now. <laughs> You'll be a journalist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I don't mean that, you know. No, no, it's I just, know. <laughs> it's, uh, and it's, that's the part for me that is the challenge is, is challenge, is challenging yourself. Yeah. And, uh, uh, obviously after the last week, the way last year went, I really had to take a look at, at myself. This wasn't on the GM. It wasn't on the team players. It was on, I felt it was on me. And, um, how, how I was going to change myself and, and adapt to players we have and uh, I think it's made me a better coach. Well, when you talk about adapting, how do you approach the second half of the year when, like you said, you've had a great first half, you're the toast of the league. Well, <laughs> maybe Vegas yeah, is. Yeah, Vegas, I would say they've topped us for sure but it's, you know, as I just said, it's you. It's 82 games and um, the one thing is you, you don't you can't have a chance to win the Stanley Cup unless you make the playoffs. And so that's got to be the goal of the team. And regardless of where you finish, first or eighth, you got to get into the dance to uh, uh, to have a chance. And um, that's the one thing for us is, yes, we excited where we are in the standings. We are. Are we happy that we've you know stumbled at five of our last seven? No. Uh, but we've given ourselves a little bit of buffer. But uh, we've accomplished nothing yet. And that's the attitude in that room is, you know, until we get that little X by our name that says we're in the playoffs, we haven't done anything. And that's a big motivation for us. Halfway through the year, have you seen any trends in the league this year, style of play or, or things you're seeing? Um, I, I always think that whatever team wins the Stanley Cup, teams try to emulate how they play. And uh, the one thing I think that has changed a little bit in this league is the... Uh, 
the rules. Mm-hmm. So when those face-off rules went in, the slashing rules went right. in, it, it made it tougher to defend. And anytime you're going to make it tougher to defend, you're going to make it easier on offensive players. Well, now you've got this, the speed picks up a little bit, the quickness. And and because of those little changes, just, the game is sped up. And uh, it's, I think the other thing is, too, it's kind of knocked out maybe the six foot two guy and replaced it maybe with a five foot ten guy because now they've got it's easier for them to get around they've and their speed and skill is now being introduced to the league and it's, it's made it a faster league do you have a favorite steven stamkos story <laughs> oh boy yeah probably that i can't tell you though um <laughs> it's pg for a disney yeah, company he's uh you know stammers you know he's our captain and he's been around a while but he's i think He's a he's a kid at heart, so uh, he's not afraid of the practical joke. He's not afraid of the. Uh, I think he got that from Marty Saint Louis. Marty used to, you know, he'd, he'd be sitting right here, and all of a sudden he'd just pop out of the stick bag, and uh, <laughs> well, he can fit in the stick bag. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But uh, you know, I think he learned. He's he had a fun group of guys he was around. So uh, um, it's Stavers. What makes him good as a captain is he can be lighthearted with the guys and. Uh, so anyway, I can't deliver any of a secret. So. It's okay. And the last thing for me is Tampa's going to be on display this week at the All-Star mm-hmm. Game. Obviously, the Pirate Festival is a big attraction. But uh, more so just, you know, how you guys have integrated the community. Why do you think it's been such a successful Sun Belt franchise? Well, it starts with the owner. There's no question about it. What his, uh, what his you know, his philanthropy and what he's done for the community, he is, it's why our franchise is, is so popular in the city. Yes, does it help that we win? Yes, you know, our, um, our general manager done a great job. Our team's won some games, but um, in the end, it's what uh, our owner, he, he has set the stage for success, and that was by giving back to the community. Um, he's a selfless man, and it's kind of been a trickle-down effect for all of us, and the city's embraced us. Our thanks to John Cooper and the Tampa Bay Lightning for uh, that fantastic chat. Uh, the best thing about talking to John Cooper is that you can st- spend the entire time imagining it's actually Michael Keaton talking to you. <laughs> he does sound a little Michael Keaton-ish. He's just awesome. I, I really respect him. And honestly, you said it actually this morning on the call. Like, the second he's done coaching, get that man in a booth. Oh, forget a booth. Get him on the, the table uh, for intermission stuff. There should be more coaches. <laughs> get that, that man on the stuff. table. But you know what I mean? They're like it's all these ex-players, and, and they're all kind of knuckleheads. Like coaches are so much better. They tried it with Tortorella and T- TSN. It mm-hmm. didn't work necessarily. He wasn't really that good. But like Cooper, guys like that, I think I would love to have Cooper be uh, a, 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 an intermission dude on one of these national uh, broadcasts. It'd be really great. Um, all right. Well, coming up, much more here on ESPN and Ice, including. The puck headlines, including a Matt Barzell interview, including your adventures in Seattle, and of course, this week's edition of Phil Kessley's Hot Dogs, uh, coming up after the break. I love sports. I just wish they could be with me always. They say you don't choose the app. The app chooses you. It is everything I could ever want in a sports companion. It can stream the games and shows that I love, and it's there whenever I need it. I never thought I could find an app that loves sports as much as I do. Until now. Download the ESPN app to stream ESPN Radio and all the ESPN networks now. All right, back on ESPN and Ice. It's Greg Wyshynski and Emily Kaplan. And Emily, uh, this week dropped your epic story about the NHL and Seattle and uh, professional hockey in the Emerald City. I saw that you got retweeted by the mayor of Seattle, uh, and I was like, wow, that's really impressive. And then I saw she only has like 3,000 followers. And I'm like, it's mayor kind of a Jenny. bummer. Yeah, mayor Jenny. Jenny. Should, Jenny. Jenny. You figure like a mayor of a major city would be like huge on Twitter, but maybe she just She's new. Know. She just took office. They've had some oh, is that what it is? intense mayor drama. They had like four mayors in the span of a month. Um, you wow. can Google it. It's, it's pretty controversial. It involves the sex abuse scandal. Ah. Anyway, she's a new mayor. She's great. I sat down with her. Uh, her big thing is she's super pumped and it's kind of awkward because the mayor before her negotiated with the Oakview group, which is the ownership group coming in, but she's really going to be the team that's seeing this through. She actually met with Gary Bettman on Tuesday, the day my story dropped, which was very fortuitous timing. <laughs> um, but yeah, the point of the story was like, 
I don't know. We were at these board of governor meetings. We pretty much skipped four steps from what we used to do with, you know, what we did with Vegas three years ago when they were like, you can, you know, do a season ticket drive. It's almost an inevitability that Seattle's getting a team. Like, how is the city preparing? And that's the answer uh, that I wanted to get. What did you What did you find out that you didn't know going into uh, going on the ground in Seattle for this story? What kind of What kind of wised you up? Maybe a little bit. Well, firstly, I didn't know how they really see themselves as a city with the worst traffic and parking of the world. Really? Um, yeah, it's and that's their big thing, Key Arena, which is this kind of a dump of an arena, and that's really why the Sonics left is because they couldn't get public funding to get a new arena. Uh, it's right in the center; it's nestled along Amazon's campus, and everyone's like, well, "How are you going to get to games? Like, this is going to be impossible. Like, I don't even know how they're going to do it." So that was interesting. Um, I learned a lot about why Key Arena makes the most sense. Uh, it's a really historic building uh, for that state. Um, do you know what's really interesting too is the Oakview Group's coming in. They also want to make it a concert venue because that's going to subsidize a lot of this stuff. They only right. had one loading dock at this arena, and wow. that actually deterred a ton of acts that couldn't <laughs> come in. So now there's going to be five or six loading docks, I believe. Um, and, yeah, the other thing is that this is really viable now to make the NBA come. There's no available team right now. But in my opinion, the NBA, this is their first available city right now. Yeah, that's funny about the loading docks because whenever you hear about an arena refurbishment on the level of what they're doing with with Key Arena, the immediate thing you think of is like luxury boxes and suites, you know, fan- fancy seats, suites, and things like that. Mm-hmm. But it's a lot of it is sort of just like fixing the infrastructure in that arena that makes it feel dated and makes it feel like not as modern as some of the other buildings. That's really interesting. Um, do you when you talk to people in Seattle about getting the NHL there, do you feel like the hype is more? It's an it's a new thing that we want and we want to be a winner and we want to win the bid and get the team and, and, and we'll be very excited about having a new thing. Or do you think it's very much an enthusiasm about hockey as a sport? Do you know what I think it is? That's funny. I think it's enthusiasm about hockey as a sport because I think hockey has grown there exponentially, but it's really capped. And a lot of that is because there's a lack of ice rinks. Um, if you think about it, there's mountains on one side, water on the other. Land is so expensive there. They just can't build ice rinks. So Seattle's having its moment. Huh. They're adding, you know, they're having their tech boom. There's a lot of rich families that want to sign their kid up for hockey. There's just not ice rinks. So if you bring in a team, you look at, you know, what they did in Dallas or what they did in Colorado of Vegas. really building Vegas now. Yeah. Um, you know, Florida, Tampa Bay is another good example of, you know, creating a youth hockey culture. So that's it. When you talk to fans, though, it was this cautious optimism, and they feel like they've been flirted with and toyed for so many years. Like, this is the first U.S. city that won a Stanley Cup in 1917. Like, since then, they've been talking about bringing an NHL team there, right? Um, <laughs> and they almost, like, them in Quebec City, like, I'm like, you guys have an ally there. Like, you guys yeah. have been flirted with and left at the altar. And so even though all of these announcements seem to be coming, they're like, we'll wait and see until we actually, you know, get that sign check. And uh, Jenny, is it the mayor of Seattle? Jenny Durkin, wonderful lady. So Mayor Durkin uh, t- tweeted out something after she met with Batman, where they're like, we're really forward- looking forward to bringing the NHL and and the Stanley Cup back to Seattle. And, and I get I get that they won one. I do get that. But I feel like Vegas has now made the world safe for expansion teams to just like, <laughs> you know, Lay it out there. Oh, we're, uh, by the way, we know we're going to be set up pretty damn well by this expansion draft. We're not thinking about being an expansion team anymore. We're going for the cup like the Golden Knights are. Well, if they're paying $150 million more million than the Vegas Knights had to pay as their entry fee, they're going to get set up pretty nicely, like there maybe even sweeter than the sweet Golden yeah. Knights. Gary's going to make it so you can only protect two defensemen now. And so Seattle's <laughs> just going to be stealing yeah. away everybody's best third defenseman. Uh, Matt Barzell is a rookie of the year leading candidate, I'd say, right now in the NHL with the New, uh, the New York Islanders. Uh, but he's also got a Seattle connection. Yeah, it was a pretty nice tie-in this week. But what other people don't realize about Seattle is there's two junior teams within an hour drive of the city, you know, an hour drive of each other, and they support both of them. And one is the Thunderbirds, where Matt Barzell was skating last year, and everyone was going nuts over. So when I spoke to him this week, I asked him, what do you think of the fans in Seattle? They were nuts. They loved it. They were probably the loudest. You know, we would have 5,000 in there, and then some nights it would feel like we had 10, you know. They were uh, they were crazy, so I think I think it would it would be good. I think there's a market for it there. One of the things I didn't even realize is that there's two junior teams within like a 20 mile radius because there's Everett yeah. also. Yeah, exactly. It's a good rivalry too. Whenever we play those guys, like both all the fans get into it, and it's good. So you got a little taste of the NHL uh, last year. Just played in two games, and then yeah. you were sent back down to juniors. What did you learn in that experience? Um, 
I think just uh, you know the work you have to put in every single day, and you know you got to eat right, and you just got to become a pro. So um, I felt maybe on the ice I was maybe uh, you know ready, but even off the ice, like I, I learned so much, and just just being here for a month and and that kind of stuff, just learning from you know Tavares and um, guys like Letty and you know all those guys. So I just I'll try to bring it all back to junior and just you know not taking the year off. Yeah, and you said eat right. Is that something you notice? Is the way they ate in their diets? Yeah, I mean, I, I was pretty pretty cautious with what I ate, but uh, just to see them doing it here, you know, up front and, and you know, close and personal was uh, was cool. Just you know, this is actually how they do it in the NHL. You know, you never really know until you're here. So it was just uh, cool just seeing you know everyone eat healthy and everyone, uh, you know, yeah, everyone just do the right things at all, all the time. Mm-hmm. When I was down in Seattle, I talked to the GM there, Russ Farwell, and he said oh, yeah. one of the things that's impressed him the most is that um, when he watches you play now with the Islanders, you're playing like the exact same hockey that you played last year. Like, how yeah. hard is it to kind of keep and stay true to yourself and play your game at a different level where it's a totally different pace? Yeah, I mean, that can be tough. I think uh, um, we got coaching staff here that kind of like has made me feel really comfortable on the ice and... I'm not trying to, you know, um, I'm not worried about, you know, making mistakes. I'm, I'm going out there playing hard and, um, you know, just hoping, you know, things go my way. So, like, the coaching staff, I think, has done a great job of just letting me kind of be myself and play my game. I heard last year you like to watch a lot of Sidney Crosby clips. Yeah, yeah, I do. What specifically do you look at in his game? Um, just, like, little plays he makes, like, little smart plays and mostly uh, puck protection and, you know what he does in the offensive zone, that kind of stuff, and uh, how he anticipates pucks and just like his IQ. I just try watching his whole game. I mean, yeah, I just try. I like watching him. I like watching a lot of guys. Yeah. What was it like the first time you played against Crosby? School. Uh, I was in Pittsburgh, so but it was cool. He actually. Uh, I mean, my first shift was against him, so it was just kind of cool. I was a guy I grew up idolizing, and. Um, you know, just to play against them, and that's fun. I wanted to, uh, you know, now, obviously, I'm not going to be out there just uh, staring at him all game. You know, I'm playing hard <laughs> and trying to beat him, but he's uh, he's a heck of a player, and it was it was cool uh, playing playing against him up close. Your speed is pretty fun to watch. Were you always, like, the fastest skater or the fastest kid growing up? You know what? Like, um, when I was young, but even in junior, I had guys that were faster than me and stuff. I actually... Really? Yeah, I just... I mean, there's guys on this team that are faster than me, so... I just try to anticipate pucks, and I think uh, you know my speed comes from my crossovers. So whenever I can get that going, I try to. So there's a story that's been passed around in your draft process, and someone from the Islanders asked you why we should pick you, and apparently you replied, "Don't," and see how it works out for you. Is that true? Uh, no, it's actually not. Uh, not with the Islanders. Okay. I don't know if I. I actually don't remember saying that. You know, I don't remember saying it, but. You know, I can see myself maybe saying it, but uh, um, that was a long time ago. But I, I've heard that rumor. It's kind of funny. Isn't it funny how we media just take something and run with it? Yeah, it's like, uh, I actually can't even remember when I said that. But it, I I mean, I've heard that I have said that I did say that. So, I mean, I don't think anyone would really lie about that. But it's it's just kind of funny. I think it's kind of funny now. So uh, what's off-ice life for you? Do you live with one of the veteran players? I do actually. I live with uh, Dennis Seidenberg. I live at uh, live in their basement. Same, and what's yeah? They got a couple kids. I mean, uh, it's fun, man. It's uh, you know, I, I like just uh, you know, I have my own time, you know, myself in the basement. But other times, you know, I go up, play with the kids a bit, and hang out. I like kind of having that. I'm only 20 years old, so I, I still, you know, want that family and uh, like, you know people in the house. I don't need to be just be living on my own yet. I don't think I'm capable of it either, so they do a great job just kind of helping me. It must be sweet. Do you get to get in on, like, the home-cooked meals and family dinners? I do. I do get in the home-cooked meals. They make great food. Yeah. Unreal food, actually. That's the biggest thing, I think. That's the best, biggest part I like, actually. They, they eat so well. Yeah, it's funny, actually. I used to, I was an intern for the NHL, and it was the year after the Bruins won the Cup. And I went with Seidenberg in his day with the cup and stuff. It was in Atlantic City. Oh, no. And uh, he baptized his kid in the puck, in the cup. No way. Yeah. That's so funny. I didn't even yeah, know Yeah, it was on a boat. You have to ask him about it. I will.
So uh, another thing I've been asking a bunch of guys is, did you see the Joe Thornton fight where he got his beard ripped out? Yeah, I did. What's the grossest thing you've ever seen on the ice? Um, the grossest thing? Yeah. I've seen a couple ankles twisted or, I mean, I mean, actually on the ice, we had a game in Seattle once, you know, fans were chucking money and like coins and stuff for, you know, all over the ice, throwing water bottles and like beers and stuff. It was pretty funny, but it was, it was kind of gross, like on the ice, but yeah, I mean, that's not really gross. That's just kind of stupid stuff. It's just bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. It's like weird. It's like, why, why does that make you feel good? (laughs) Congrats. I don't know. Yeah. Honestly. Great. What's one thing you've learned from John Tavares this year? I'd say it's just consistency or, or, or like he's always even keel. It's like it doesn't matter if he had four points or if he had zero points. Like he's, he comes to work the next day and he works his heart. He, he gives it everything he has. So it's like he, he told me once, you know, you can't get too high and, and too low in this league. Like it doesn't matter. You know, it can go pretty quick. It can change pretty quick. So I think just, just that, just, uh, you know, staying even and um, not getting too high or low. Yeah. Your buddies at home probably ask what he's like. Do you have a story oh, yeah. you tell them? <laughs> Do you have a story you tell them about? Um, you know what? I don't actually. They just wonder how. Just, just wonder how he is. You know, they've been. All my buddies are kind of hockey. You know, we've been watching hockey forever and stuff, and we all they all played too. So they follow the game pretty close, and they they are fans of Tavares, obviously, even before I was an Islander. So they just uh, they kind of get googly eyed, I guess, that I'm playing with them, and it's it's kind of cool. It's I like. Uh, they were just wondering how he is. You know, I tell him, you know, he's a hardworking guy. He's a great guy. So, Who else do they ask you about? They kind of ask me about players we play against more than guys not actually my team or abs. You know, they ask what I believe a bit just because they're all Canadian and they remember his goal and stuff, you know. And then, uh, you know, when we play uh, other teams, like they, they all know who I'm playing against that night and they'll ask me about them after the game, just how, we, how they were and stuff. It's kind of cool. I love being able to tell my buddies that. Like, it's so cool. Earlier in the year, I talked to Alex DeBrinkett. I'm based in Chicago. And I okay. asked him, I was like, how much more elite is the smack talk in the NHL and in juniors? And he said it was way worse in juniors. I'd love to hear your take. It is. It is. Really? Trash talking is way worse. It's more like vulgar, I think, in in junior. And like, it's more like testosterone chirping. Whereas here, it's like more clever and like witty, like comebacks. You know, kind of like subtle gut shots, I think. More than it is like getting mad, like calling names or you know, telling guys you're going to kill them. It's not really like that. That makes a ton of sense. Matt, I appreciate your time, but uh, best of luck the rest of the year. Okay, thanks. Our thanks to Matt Barzell, who I still think might finish behind Brock Besser for the Calder, but we'll see how things shake out. <laughs> Char- as, as we'll talk about in a bit, I feel Aww. like Charlie McAvoy maybe took a hit to his candidacy. but I, I shed I, a I, tear for Chuck. I think, the issue, I think the issue is that, that Barzell's got all the hype right now and Brock's going to have to do some heavy lifting. But I, I will be his press secretary because, of course, he's an American. Uh, now it's time for a favorite segment every week. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. Good one, Randy. Oh. Good one. So as you guys know, this is our favorite segment. I hope it's yours, too. It's where we take a media-driven story of the week and discuss it and shop it up like a hot dog that you feed to a four-year-old. So, um... <laughs> The one that we chose this week was a pretty obvious one. I love me some John Tortorella, especially when he's got a hot take. And this one is flaming hot. Uh, his Blue Jackets were playing in Vegas. And, you know, the reporters were asking what they always ask. What do you think of the Vegas flu? You know what Tort said? What he he said, I want them to go out. Playing guilty is a big part of being a really good player in the NHL. We don't have that anymore. Heaven forbid. We have agents and their whole entourage just making sure you drink that carrot juice and all of this stuff. And all I have to say is, the war on carrot juice has gone too far. <laughs> the media reaction to this, though, is the reason it made the Kessel uh, category this week, which is that everybody's like, good for torts. Let him bar- party. What an honest dude. This is why we love torts. Same media that will immediately call out a player if he is photographed at 2.30 in the morning the day before a game, uh, you know, with a beer in his hand. I mean, it's it's pretty remarkable. It was all the old hockey guys, though. It was like Kiprios and all of those, like, I'm a hockey guy through and through. Like, this is the way you need to play. You need to play, quote, guilty, which I've never heard that term, but I love it. Play guilty. Um, yeah, well, torts is torts. Torts be torts, and as they say. All right, now it's time for some torts. puck headlines uh, here on ESPN on Ice. Uh, Dateline retirement. Mark <laughs> Savard retires one year 
I'm sorry, not one year. Seven years to the day. <laughs> one year would have been reasonable. Seven years. And, and Dateline is obviously Florida. That's where he's been, right? I believe so. Uh, of his last game. I mean, a tragic story. An absolutely tragic story. Yeah. Uh, a, a guy who um, was a, a, a you know point-per-game style center uh, in his time with the uh, Thrashers and the Rangers and mostly the Bruins um, in his career. Uh, and then, of course, suffers the horrific concussion uh, when uh, Matt Cook blindsided him, that led to some of the more uh, stringent uh, penalties and uh, and uh, suspensions within the Department of Player Safety in Rule 48. And then he got conked again in uh, 2011 uh, in a game against the Colorado Avalanche. And so uh, seven years uh, to the day uh, he retires from the NHL. And then the other thing about Savard that was really interesting, um, may- maybe the most uh, infamous or famous cap space uh, for hmm. any player uh, in the last several years as well. Trade- his cap space was traded twice to the Florida Panthers in the Riley Smith trade and then from the Panthers really made him, the Devils. Yeah. It's like dehumanized him just being a player. It's just like a, you are a cap space. You are a cap space. And then also the correct term is dead cap space for a guy who can't play anymore oh, because God. he's too concussed. And it's very, it's very oogie to talk yeah. about it. It does sort of commodify a player in a way that makes us feel uncomfortable. Uh, but that's exactly why, Emily, we should have a luxury tax instead of salary cap because then you wouldn't have weird things like saying dead cap space to a guy who had too many concussions. Yeah. The only thing that I can take solace in is the statement that he released via the NHLPA. Is he said that he's really happy where, with where he is in his life and he's been the healthiest that he has been in a long time. Um, I'm just curious to, you know, I'd love to hear his thoughts on things like how his cap space was used as a commodity or maybe some of the rules about concussions and how they affected, you know, him and where they're going forward. So I'm curious. He's someone I'll be following over the next couple of years. Out of curiosity, are you somebody who believes that um, there should be more players like Savard who uh, were on the receiving end of big hits in the Department of Player Safety? Or do you think that the Department of Player Safety is better served to have the... Uh, <laughs> You know, the criminals running the asylum, the uh, the hackers working on the security on the outside. You know, the, the guys that administered some of those hits uh, being the ones that are studying them. I'm team uh, diversity of opinion. How's that Fair for uh, I like coming it. down right down the center? I like it. Uh, Dateline Raleigh. Scott Darling is 9, 13, and 6 on the year. He has an mm-hmm. 892 save percentage. He has a 302 goals against average in 29 games. He was supposed to fix... All the problems for the Carolina Hurricanes goaltending. Scott, why didn't you fix everything? And he didn't. Oh, uh, Cam yeah. Ward has been their goalie. He's going to be their goalie, their goalie going forward as the team uh, publicly addressed this week the problems with Darling and, and Coach Bill Peters has talked about sitting him down and trying to figure out what's going on there. Scott Darling, worst acquisition in the last year for a team? Yeah, I thought a lot about this this morning, and I'm tempted to say Scott Mason, Steve Mason, rather, mainly because I forgot his name, but also <laughs> the reason I forgot his name is because he hasn't been playing, and he got a ridiculous contract with the Jets. But that actually worked out well because it somehow lit the fire under Connor Hellebuck to do so well. So maybe it's not that bad of a signing. You know, that money is at least going to good use for the Winnipeg Jets. This money it's, is n- not being used for good use. It's got to be. I think it's. I think it's darling. Only because yeah. of, of the circumstances around the acquisition, them thinking that it was going to be like grabbing the backup quarterback from a team in the NFL and making him the starter and now all your problems are solved. Um, and, He's the and- Mike Lennon. He's literally the Mike Lennon. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, I, I listen, and I, everybody knows. And they didn't go get a Trubisky. <laughs> Chicago over here representing. You're in the ESPN <laughs> Chicago offices. I'm just trying to try out my role so I can get in the fishbowl downstairs. No, that my wife's, l- my wife's hot takes. My wife's a huge Bears fan, so like it, all, everything you've said is something I've heard every weekend. Yeah, uh, Ruby, I hope Scott, you're listening. Scott Darling is uh, for me the worst signing just because of of everything that it came along with that signing, um, with a the caveat that he's the worst signing to play at least 20 games in the league this year. Because obviously the worst signing is that Russian dude that was on the Vegas that like, left it. Well, that was just like, a mismanagement <laughs> of many degrees. But Darling's been bad, and I feel bad for him because obviously he's been through it as a as a human being. Uh, Dateline Boston, Chucky. Chucky, Chucky Hockey. I think that's what they call him. Chucky Brightlights. Charlie McAvoy out two weeks. Now, did you do the thing that I did when we read about this yesterday uh, when the Bruins released the information where the the release began – with these references 
to his like a heart condition and he had a heart mm-hmm. procedure uh to treat an abnormal uh heart rhythm and it's the first thing you read and you're like oh my god and is this like, the guy pro- okay he's in the hospital they're doing the procedure on his heart and you're like oh my god and then you get like all these paragraphs down and finally it's like the recovery time is expected to be two weeks i'm like oh my what and like 90 percent of the people who get this procedure don't have a recurrence yeah I mean, like, um, it, it really was, so, as somebody said. It was a scare. It was a scare. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's like, it's like finding out a friend of yours is in a, a car accident. And they're telling you how fast the car was going. And they're telling you how many cars were involved. And they're telling you we, they went over an over, an overpass on, into a river. And then at the end, it's like, I walked away unscathed. <laughs> like, how's your car? A scratch. Uh, but look, I don't want to make light of it. Like, I'm very happy he's okay. It's obviously, it must have been really scary for him to get this diagnosis. And, you know, you never know with the heart. I hope that it's as benign as the last paragraph of that press release suggested. Um, but yeah, do you know what it opened my eyes to? What's everyone that? was talking afterwards of like, okay, who's going to replace Victor Hedman in the All-Star game? And everyone was thinking it was either going to be McAvoy or Morgan Riley up in Toronto and neither of them now. I'm like, why is no one talking about Chara? The reason... McAvoy is doing so well this year as he's playing with Zidane Chara. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's a symbiotic relationship, and Chara is the constant. I wow. I don't know if that uh, even made sense. I did no, really I bad like in science classes. I like it. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the the whole you have to, you just have to sound smart. I mean, if yeah. you've learned nothing from Neil deGrasse Tyson, it's that <laughs> the the thing about Chara that I think we have to take into account is that as a forty year old player, he probably has that relationship with the league where if he's like look too tired they're gonna be like stay home then i'd like, rather I feel go like biking in the alps like yeah okay I, <laughs> go spend your three days doing that i feel like he's done the all-star thing so many times he's been a good soldier that at his age if, if the team's like we'd rather rest him the league ain't gonna make him come and play like there's a few guys that are in that category um but you obviously would love him to be there for the hardest shot competition uh, it, it, you know, or, or everything else. The thing that I find interesting about the, the Bruins though, uh, to circle back to them for a second and also to make the great transition from heart to heart. Oh uh, is, my is the idea that Patrice Bergeron might be creeping his way into the MVP conversation. As, as Elliot Friedman pointed out this morning in 31 Thoughts, uh, the last guy to win the heart and the Selkie in the same year was Sergei Fedorov, so it's been a minute. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you could probably, you know, write in a permanent marker that he's going to win the Selkie. Um, Patrice Bergeron as a heart trophy candidate. What do you think? I like it. I think, were we talking about on this podcast or something? I mean, he's the most underrated player in the league. It was at our summit. And <laughs> yeah. you know who was pumping his tires is Barry Melrose just saying, this guy is awesome. We asked Barry, and we should probably reveal this on the podcast. It was great. We asked him to create a team for three years from now to win a Stanley Cup. And he, like, a starting lineup. And my favorite part about it is he picks McDavid and Connor and Crosby. Who and did Crosby. he put on the wing? Yeah, he why not, Crosby right? on the wing? Yeah. yeah he, you think he did, but it was, like, just such a cheat, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, and then I'll take Alex. Um, right. Three years yeah, now. Anyway, not, right? he didn't pick Patrice Bergeron, but he loves Patrice Bergeron. I think that, you know, you're never going to get the credit you deserve uh, when you're a two-way player. It's just inherent. But, um, yeah, I'd put him for heart. I mean... He's in the symbiotic relationship of the Boston Bruins. He's the constant. He's the constant. Catchphrase. I don't think. I think it contradicts itself. I don't think that phrase actually makes sense. I think it makes perfect sense, and I'm going to speak about. I'm going to say it about in, it in, in a booming announcer voice. Remember, <laughs> in the symbiotic relationship of the Boston <laughs> Bruins, he was the constant. Um, you could hear it in the thirty for thirty right now. The uh, I think he's a, a, a real viable candidate, especially with the Bruins having climbed up the standings. If they end mm-hmm. up. Beaten out the Tampa Bay Lightning for the top spot the in that division. And it's they're five points back, two games in hand, and everybody on Tampa's hurt, basically. Uh I think I think the Patrice Bergeron will be front of mind for uh the Hart Trophy, uh if it doesn't go to Nathan McKinnon, who I think right now you have to say is the clubhouse leader. Uh Dateline Tampa, the all-star game skills competitions are gonna be happening on Saturday. We're kind of doing this as a, sort of an all-star previewy time. Um, it's going to be puck control where they bring back those god awful, uh, mini nets or, mm-hmm. oh, I'm sorry. That's, that's the, the passing thing, mm-hmm. the passing challenge with the dumb mini nets, puck control relay, 
Uh, hardest shot is back. Shot accuracy is back. Shot accuracy now, the little targets will light up and you have to hit them. That's kind of fun until it inevitably malfunctions and we all get really upset about it. And Jonathan Taves is like, light never came on. Uh, and then of course, something that is, uh, very interesting, which is save streak, a new competition. Uh, each goalie in, in the, uh, in the, in the, in the skills competition, uh, will face one division and a minimum of nine scoring attempts. Each scoring attempt is officiated in accordance with shootout rules. Players from each division will shoot in numerical order, lowest to highest, with the divisional captain shooting ninth. Uh, and what it is is you get a point for every sa- every save you make in the or, or something like that. And the goalie with the longest save streak uh, will uh, will be the victor of the of the skills competition. And the interesting thing about this competition, as I pointed out on Twitter this morning. You can't. It doesn't end until somebody scores on them. Hmm. So, in other I'm, words, it, it cannot. A, a goalie's round in the save streak cannot end with a save. If the divisional captain's shot is saved, so Vasilevsky can be on the ice shooters. for like four hours. Yeah, if you get a guy who's just like, like, He's hot. like He's Dominic Hoshik walk through the door yeah. and stops forty straight shots, there's there's no there, there's no stopping it. Like, it just keeps going and going and going. John Cooper there is like, get my guy off the ice. Right, exactly. Um, Beyond the injury thing, it has a goal. Listen, a goalie's job is to ruin fun. That's what they get paid for, (laughs) is to ruin fun. And now you've given them a chance to ruin fun in the funnest night of the year at the skills competition. I like it. I'm excited for it. What is your favorite skills competition? I'm kind of excited the hardest shots coming back. Because I'm not a math and science girl, but I like when they get like the numbers and miles per hour. And plus, it was always the one that Shea Weber always won, so someone else is going to have a hard shot this year. Yeah, he's certainly not an all-star. Uh, yeah, hardest shot oh, is, is, is always <laughs> seems like it's a tenuous thing. that they, they it, 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 There's years where it's sort of boring and you wonder if they're going to bring it back or not. They did bring I it back like this it. year. Uh, it boring? I, it's, I, I don't know. It's, it's sort of like a powerlifting competition, right, for hockey. Okay. It's like who can hit the highest number, and then the next guy flexes, and he's trying to hit a bigger number. So uh, there's a, something to it. Charlie um, would be awesome at this. As far as that goes, I, I would say, I, I would say shut out the shot accuracy thing, and I hope they don't screw it up with these little lights and the targets. I just find that part of the skill set to be fascinating. The guys who can whip the puck five times and and break the targets, and also the. Um, I don't know if they still do the breakaway targets. They might not do them anymore. If that's the case, then it's sort of a bummer because when you would see the the pucks hit the targets and they would shatter, and I still have one of the targets that, that Taves broke uh, at the <laughs> Ottawa All-Star game. I keep my, on my desk. I really? like that aesthetic too. Yeah, for sure. Mm, cool. Also, Dateline Tampa, who is your All-Star game pick? Which which division wins the All-Star game? Wow. Um I'm not gonna lie, I haven't really thought about this. <laughs> no one has. No one gives a crap about the All Star game. <laughs> the West, the West, the West will win. Uh, no. I, Which yeah. division? You get you get I, your you get your Vegas Knights in that one. You get your Central. You get a bunch. Yeah, I think I'm gonna go the home because I think all the Lightning they'll have all the chemistry to play together in the three on three. Um, and it sucks that Taylor Hall's not gonna be there though because he's so good on three on three. Racy, is good. that definite? Uh, I don't yeah. know yet as we do this podcast, but I mean, I would imagine. That's my big saying, decider. He, if Taylor Hall's East, I go East. I would, I would, I would, I mean, it, you have to remember it's divisional, by the way. So oh, it's yeah, like, shoot. you could be Metro, oh. not simply the East. All right, then I'll pick Central. <laughs> I think I've listed everyone. <laughs> your, hand, your handle on the All-Star game is about your, the handle that you most fans have. You get a trophy. Um, I would still go, uh, I would still go Atlantic for, and I'll steal your thunder on that. I like cool. the idea of there for the, the Lightning winning the All-Star game. Like, they're obviously going to be game to win it. So why not pick the division they're in? Yeah. There you go. All right, that's the hockey content on this show this week, except for our rant, which will be coming up in a second. Real quick, because I know people don't like when we veer down pop culture uh, avenues here. And I know Emily inherently does not care about the Oscar selections this year. <laughs> Okay. Well, actually, it was funny. I was talking to Mark Lazarus last night, the beat man for the Blackhawks. He had just seen I, Tanya. And I guess I just forgot about how many movies were this year that were good that I liked. Like, Wonder Woman was this year. Get Out was this year. Yeah. And so when we talked about snubs, I was really excited. Get Out, to my knowledge, they were snubbed in director. Jordan Peele was for the Golden Globes, but he got yeah. in this time. That was cool. And Greta Gerwig, we got a girl in there, thanks to Natalie Portman. 
and her, you know, really awesome shade that she threw because yeah. she's awesome. I yeah, the director category was one that I I was genuinely happy to get that Jordan Peele got a nomination. That movie was but so I was good. also genuinely it's on HBO Go Le- now, by the way. Who's the count you use, huh? My mom's. <laughs> you know, do you know what's so messed up, by the way? Yeah. I'm going to put this on the podcast because my entire family listens and I need to know it's public. I'm a middle child and I have serious middle child complex. My dad's password is my two sisters' names. My mom's password of the HBO Go, which I have to put in every time, is just my older sister's name and some numbers. <laughs> and like, they're like, no, you, like we love you all equal. I'm like, this is why the middle child complex is real. <laughs> anyway, that's just my tangent for the day. Listen to that, their, Kaplan. The, their, their password for the Showtime one is actually Jan Brady. I don't even know. That's terrible. Uh, the, Luca they Gua- all the dog for sometimes. The dog oh, dog sh- makes it, and I don't. What did you do to not be a password? What 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 have you what have you done? I was to your really angst. I was really angsty in middle school. Oh, is that what it is? That's like I think where they had to create all the passwords. All right. Well, your yeah. emo phase has completely ruined you as a password. Yeah. Uh, Luca Guadagnino, who directed "Call Me by Your Name." Was one I was really hoping would get a nomination. He did not, but that movie also kind of got overlooked. Now it got it got overlooked. Uh, a lot of people think Wonder Woman got snubbed. I don't know about you, but I don't. I did not walk out of that movie thinking Best Picture. I walked out of that movie thinking really great movie for the DC comic universe, which has been a lot of crap lately. Outside of after Nolan left the Batman films, and then I also thought this kind of makes me feel inspired, but also makes me feel like I already saw this when it was called Captain America. Mm, but I with felt. women. But with women, yes. And Amazons, no less. Um, yeah. So I, I was alright with I it not it. being a best picture. The one best picture that I, I thought got super snubbed, um, and I've definitely, you know, discussed it wherever anybody will listen to me, is the Florida Project, <laughs> which I think is one of the best explorations of, uh, class in America that I've ever seen. Incredible storytelling shot. too. Yeah. yeah. Beautifully shot, beautifully acted, I and it's got an ending so that made you, f- like, the, the the phrase "all the feels" I believe is one that's been overused in our society, but that ending made me feel all the feels in the sense that it made me feel sad and happy and exhilarated and everything in like a five second span. Um, it's not a movie for everybody, but uh, it was my I think in in hindsight, not having seen Phantom Thread and a couple other things, my favorite movie that I've seen this year. And it was my, innovative, like, yeah, too, because wasn't the last shot on an iPhone? Yeah, well, that like famous last shot. The, I believe alert. it was, which if, if the director of the, of the movie, uh, previously did a flick called Tangerine, which was shot completely on iPhones and it was my favorite movie of that year. Um, really, really good flick. Uh, and, uh, and <laughs> you gotta see the Florida project to understand why they probably used an iPhone for that scene, but it was <laughs> very clever. Uh, so yeah, that's my, 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 my Oscars rant. I, I wish everybody luck except for the people that made three billboards. Now it's time for uh, the ESPN on Ice rant line. Another you rant. You guys have done it. We Well, we did this. It got a little tenuous for a while. It got a little dicey. We're like, would this work? And there were times where we're like, I don't know. It might not because no one's calling. Now you guys we got the called. pick of the litter. You guys all called. So a reminder, if anyone else wants to call, it should be on your speed dial. You can call whenever you want, as many times as you want. Just don't bother producer Gabe too much. Uh, it's 860-516-1029. We should get a song for that. <laughs> 860-516-1029. I'll get the cars for kids people on it pronto. Yeah. Uh, all right. Here is the rant line for this week. Hey, Emily and Greg. So we all love the trade deadline drama, but as a diehard Blues fan, it frustrates me so much that each year, the only St. Louis-related rumors I see are about scoring wingers. Adding someone like Kane, Pacioretty, or Hoffman is great, but it isn't the last piece of the puzzle for us. The one thing we're missing to be a contender is a franchise center. And I love that we've gotten Shen now, but he just hasn't shown that he can be that guy yet. Which is why it drives me crazy I haven't seen anything linking us to Tavares. Of course, the asking price is going to be huge, but it's worth checking into. The Blues never really even entered into the conversation about Stamkos last year. I'd be shocked if we do anything related to Tavares, because frankly, it just makes too much sense. Probably more rants to come in the future after another second-round playoff exit. Love the show. Yours truly, a bitter Blues fan. Love the rant. Very (laughs) on brand for a Blues fan. You're going to have to be more specific when you sign off a Bitter Blues fan. I mean, that does <laughs> describe a good number of people. Um, 
you know, it's funny. They, they clear Paul Stasny's $7 million off the cap after the season, which I think had a lot of Blues fans thinking, all right, we're losing a center. He makes a lot of money. We do have other cap space besides that. And why not sign Johnny T to a, to a, a you know, a seven year deal and make him the centerpiece of the team? Um, and, and boy, visions of him and Vladimir Tarasenko on the same line dancing through your heads. Uh, and in fact, Blues fans gave us crap when we did our, our John Tavares, where might he go piece? And they're like, where is he with the Blues? And it was the first time I had ever heard this notion of, like, Tavares and the Blues being a thing that Blues fans talked about, but then I found out that it's been sort of discussed on message boards and Reddit and things for the better part of the, of a year. Why don't I think the Blues? Well, mostly because of what that dude just said, which is that they don't usually land that type of player. I think Stasny was a special case. Um, and I think that there are other destinations that might make more sense for Tavares, uh, in the Eastern Conference, like Tampa. Uh, <laughs> but I can't give you a good reason why it shouldn't happen. It seems like a market that he'd like. It seems like a team that's, that's got the pieces in place that he'd want to play with and, and try to win a championship. I don't know what the compelling old boys network hockey off the ice reason would be to play there for him. But I'm not going to say no. They have a lot of things I think would be attractive to Tavares if he wanted to leave the Islanders. And I definitely feel your pain of this team never being mentioned of, you know, getting that center that they need. I think the problem is that centers just aren't available at the trade deadline. And it's a rare case that a guy like Tavares is available. So I think it's not just that guys are spurning them or they're, you know, not looking at the right places at the trade deadline. I just don't think those guys are available that they need at that caliber. Yeah. But I mean, the real answer is that if he's going to go to a team in that division, it's obviously going to be the Blackhawks where uh, Brent Seabrook gets rickets or something. And then he's on long term injured reserve. His salary oh, space opens no, up. No, no. And then they sign Tavares and Tavares somehow gets uh, a contract where he the, the cap hits like two million somehow, but he still gets all his money like Stan Bowman magic working again. And all of a sudden Patrick Kane has a center. <laughs> Why are you right? torturing this man even more? He called him <laughs> at a very earnest call. Like that's how it's going to work, right? That's always how it works. The Blackhawks mm-hmm. struggle for like a season, then Stan Bowman's like, I don't know. Here's a, a Brad Richards is, is is paying us to play here, <laughs> and then they're fine. <laughs> he's going to put him up, and he's going to put up Anthony Declare too. Yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, well, that's ESPN on Ice for this week. Thanks for listening. As always, and we thank the people that have done it, leave reviews on iTunes of this yes. podcast. It is uh, inherent and important that you do so. Uh, in the great history of the ESPN podcast, there have been many nice reviews and many middling reviews, depending on who's been hosting. So the, if you like me and Emily and you want to let us know and let the world know, put a review on iTunes. It helps people find the show. Um, what's coming up for you this week? Anything important besides the All-Star game? Um, no, I'm just getting really excited for the All-Star game. To be honest, I get into Tampa on Friday and I'm bummed I'm missing a couple hours of the Pirate Festival. Yeah, like, Gasparilla gonna... is going to be happening at the same time. I saw, I was, I covered, uh, WWE, uh, Monday Night Raw's 25th anniversary show for ESPN on Monday and also went as a fan. I saw Titus O'Neil. WWE superstar who who appeared on on my Puck Soup podcast once and uh, and and he said hi which was weird because he remembered me and then uh, we talked to he's a Tampa native he lives down there and he was talking about how weird it is that the NHL All Star Game is going to be happening during Gasparilla the Pirate Festival and he's like I can't wrap my brain around how all that activity is going to be happening at the same time I'm like that's why we're going see how Sensory this whole overload. thing shakes out. <laughs> But uh, we'll have a treat for you guys next week. Greg and I will record the podcast together, probably hold up in a hotel room somewhere or, you mm-hmm. know, some kind of hostage situation. But it'll be fun. Yeah. And guests and stuff coming from the All-Star Game as well. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We really appreciate all your, your feedback, uh, positive or negative. And uh, tell a friend that you dig the podcast. And we will see you next week. Bye. This has been ESPN on Ice with Wyshynski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.